0: Thank you. Thank you, Moses. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you so much. Your Bible's open to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. I just had, I just realized I forgot to give you the the movie (laughs) video clip to show. So I'm going to read it in John chapter 2. Several months ago when Brother Ken, probably three months ago is when Ken, I mean, he's our, he's one of us, uh, Ken, had come to me. You know, he left about a year ago, and you know the situation there, living in Montgomery and et cetera. But he came to me, I'd say, yeah, probably three months ago, talked to me about getting married again. And so when I uh, started, I thought that for the month of October, I would do just a little part of the Gospel of John. So since I was going to do the wedding for Brother Ken, I thought, well, there is a passage in John that deals with Christ's first miracle, especially in Galilee, and and, uh, that was the marriage feast in Cana of Galilee. So since I was doing the wedding on Saturday... I felt like I would talk about the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. So your Bibles open to John chapter two, and we want to talk about this, uh, which is it is probably true. It's probably one of Christ's first miracle, if not his first miracle. Or as John doesn't call them, uh, the other gospel writers use the word energy, our uh, really comes from our word dynamite, power of God. But John uses the word sign. He calls these miracles signs. And they're signs so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so, so this is going to be the first sign, the first miracle recorded uh, in the Gospel of John. So I'm in John chapter 2. And by the way, before I read 2 verse 1, Brother Billy dealt a little bit with this. Go back to John 1. And I had given him last week, Brother Billy was with us, and what a blessing it was. Folks, I want you to know, and I haven't done this near as much as we used to, for several reasons, but I need to be preached to. I I, I need to be, and that's why I go to conferences at least one or two a year, I need to be preached to. A couple of months ago, I went to a conference in Atlanta, and I heard 12 sermons in two days. I need that. Um. One of my professors, and again, this is this is just God's calling. I, I'm not my calling's different from yours, but one of my professors talked about being a pastor, was like this. He said, You're a faucet that's always on, okay? And that faucet is on, and what you're doing is you're quenching thirst, you're watering seed, and you're extinguishing flames. That's what you do, and it never stops. And, and to a large degree, that's true. And so when I have the opportunity to hear somebody preach, that's important to me. And so Billy and I had been talking. He retired a year ago, and so we'd been talking for quite a while. Moses and him go way back. I did not know that until after we started talking about it. So, so thank you for letting me have him. But he dealt with, I'd given him part of our title, you know, Living in the Light of Eternity. And so he dealt with verse 4. But I want to go back to verse 1. Because so what I don't want you to think about who's doing this miracle? It's uh, it's God in human form, is who's doing this miracle. He, he's the pre-existent God, right? This is Christ. He's pre-existent God, he's all God, and he's a living God. He is God in human form. But verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. And of course. Immediately, and Billy mentioned this last week, I mentioned it several months ago, immediately your mind should think Genesis 1-1. Because what John's doing is he's talking about a new beginning. Life in Christ for those who believe. It's a new beginning. A new creation. A spiritual creation. So in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. He's equal with God. He's... Equal and preexistent. He's God. This, he's talking about Christ. And the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him. Was not anything made that was made. In him was life. He's uh, not only is he eternal. But he's preexistent. But he's also eternal. In him Talking about Christ, the Word, was life. And the life that you and I get from knowing Christ is the light of men. So we have something, saved people have something that lost people do not have. And all of us should be like what Brother Angel... But thank you, Brother Angel, for sharing that. That was a blessing to me. Thank you for sharing. Let me just say something... Again, I'm chasing rabbits. Okay, that's life. Uh, by the way, I can go over, but I won't go over as big as Billy did. Did huh? Remember? If you were here last Sunday, he went over 25 minutes, right? I may go over, but it won't be 25 minutes. So consider yourself fortunate, right? Okay. So now I've done lost my train of thought. But it, In, anyway, ma'am, Angel, thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you so much. And I was thinking about this afternoon. Now folks, listen to me. And I'm as to blame, I'm more to blame ten times than anybody ever in our church. This is my fault. I'm more guilty than anybody because I'm the preacher. But don't let today, we're going to have a festival this afternoon. I don't know how many are going to come. We may have some of our, because there's others going on, by the way, where's Bonnie in here? Now, there's Mulder's doing something and Blue Ridge and Redland Hills down here is doing something. And the mission, that new church that started. Everybody's doing something this afternoon. So we don't know what our crowd's going to be. We should have some families from our school come. Some of you will come, whatever. But don't pass this up. Let this be a witnessing opportunity or a fellowshipping opportunity. You know, why don't you set a goal to meet somebody you don't really know and find out about them, and if given the opportunity... Of all things, why don't we share the Lord Jesus with him? Isn't that something? So let's let's stop doing things and forget the gospel. Let's do things with the gospel. You with me? So, Brother Angel, that message was just absolutely fantastic. Let, let me go back to John two. So we know he's God. He's God in human form. He's pre existent. He's eternal. He was with God. He is God. Now he's doing miracles. Says on the third day, isn't that interesting? Uh, on the third day, I'm in John two one. Do you know? I, I don't know how often John two one on the third day. Now we're talking about the we're, we're talking about the, the miracle at the wedding feast on the third day. Uh, what third day? See, because John starts a new creation, and he lists. You don't. I'm go there, but in John one, he says the next day, the next day, the next day. But to let you know the third day... And folks, I didn't know this. I'm 63 years old and been preaching for... I've never made this application. But go back to chapter 1. I won't give you the... Con, on the third day. because the third day is important to us, isn't it? It's the day what? Right? All of us are alive because of the third day. Right? I like that. I, there's even a group called third day... The third day means something to me because it's the the reason I have life. Christ conquered the death and the grave, right? And and proved that to me by appearing alive for 40 days. But these things took... I'm at verse 20. It says, these things took place in Bethany. Not the Bethany close to Jerusalem, but across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Supposedly, and again, I never read this and never stated it. It was a three-day journey from that Bethany to Cana of Galilee. So, also, probably the wedding feast had been going on for two or three days. So, John, who went with Jesus to this wedding feast, says, on the third day. So it was probably the third day of the feast, and the third day it took them to get there. So, on the third day. I love that. And all of us, uh, we talk about marriage and wedding and whatever miracles, all of us have meaning in life because of what happened on the third day, but we move on. Isn't it, it it's interesting when you think about this Jesus doing his first miracle, if in fact it was his first miracle? We know it was in Galilee, but his first miracle being at a wedding, that that's very significant to me when you think of the theology of, of, of marriage and, and weddings. And, and briefly, you know, because we, we had a short ceremony yesterday. Uh, I didn't talk a lot. It's a lot of theology connected to marriage. And I love doing weddings because you can talk about it and share the gospel. I did a little bit yesterday, but I don't know if you realize that Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the very book of beginnings, begins with marriage. Right? God defines marriage. Adam and Eve. And so every marriage is based on what God made. God made marriage. God defines what marriage is. That's in Genesis. Then... You come to Christ, right? 4,000 years later, after creation, you have Christ. He marries the church. He calls the church his bride. Then at the end of history, after the church age and we get to heaven, in, in, the, in Revelation 19, now think about this, Revelation 19, 20, 21 and 22, all four of those chapters mention the bride of Christ. So if you think about it, the Bible from beginning to end is about marriage and a marriage covenant. And in our relationship with Christ, my personal salvation in Christ is described in the Bible as me being in in a covenant marriage with Christ. And so, from beginning to end, the Bible talks about marriage. And it's interesting to me that Jesus performs His first miracle, a first sign as the Bible says, at a Wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. You know, and something else about marriage, and I didn't talk about this yesterday, but it was on my mind. You know, Adam and Eve were the only, and, and I thought about, I should have shared this in our class this morning, but Adam and Eve were the only married couple that's ever lived in innocence. Sinlessness. Perfect unity. Perfect righteousness, perfect holiness, perfect fellowship. Now, it didn't last forever, but they lived in it. That's the only couple that ever has, because every other married couple since the fall has lived with sin, right? So they, And they didn't experience, we don't know how long, they experienced it long enough to know what they had missed, but they're the only married couple. All The rest of us have dealt with sin and the battle with sin. That's why the third day is important. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And By the way, you can read this in history and all that, but weddings lasted usually a week, sometimes longer. I mean, a week-long celebration. And that's going to lead to the wine running out. Okay, The wording here is just so deep. So let me just share some of these thoughts with you. Um, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And we're going to find out that Jesus' mother may have been more involved in this wedding than you might think. Which means he may have been related to these people. Okay, I'll show you how we know that. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. But we know that he wasn't there at the beginning. He shows up the third day. You with me? Which to me is just incredible that he chose to show up on the third day. He revealed himself on the third day, I'm going to say. When the wine ran out, now, again, in the original language, again, you could study your theology books and we call them commentaries. I have commentaries on the Gospel of John, and so you read all these scholars and they dissect the original language and we do word studies, and one of the ideas about this is when it says it ran out, what it's talking about is uh, it, it was time versus resources that's the wording. And time had run, time, time won, there was more time left in the celebration than there were resources. Okay, so whether that was planning. Lack of money, more people showing up, we don't know. But they ran out of wine, which was a social, uh, its scandalous to do this, especially if they ran out of wine on the third day and it's going to last six or seven. Right? So, so, so there's an awkwardness here. So that, that kind of moves Jesus' mother, uh, Mary, to, to, to speak to Jesus. So, so when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. There's something very... Uh, that, that phrase is very uh, emphatic and descriptive. It could say there is no ability whatsoever for them to get more wine. That's how you could read that. Uh, As she said something to Jesus, what... What she was saying is they have no alternative. There's no hope for more wine. They don't, either it was they didn't have the money. They couldn't get to the wine. Because we're we'll going to see how much wine Jesus makes. It, there's a, probably needed a lot of wine. So there's just no ability. I think about our salvation. There's no ability on your part to save yourself, is there? You have absolutely no ability whatsoever well they, that's what they have no wine there's not any possibility they can get any more wine so they can't run off and get it they can't go down to the liquor store the abc store whatever grocery store i'm being silly but uh i notice even at aldi's i love aldi's and because uh, you can get in and out my wife knows i'm addicted to aldi's they have a huge section of wine not that i, I linger there but it is a cross from the frozen goods. And so I do notice they have a huge... So if you're a wine drinker and I don't know it, so they have a good selection. Let's move on. We're going to talk about that in a minute. What time is it? 11.15. I, I, I'm going to, I am going to finish on time because we got a long afternoon and I, I want you to go home and get, get some rest. So when the wine, wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they're unable to get any more wine. And Jesus said to her, and Jesus said to her, woman, now by the way, before you think that's rude, okay? Again, we're not in that culture, so sometimes explaining this does help. I'll tell you how you know it's not insulting or it's rude or it's, he's being disrespectful. Because the first thing you think, Jesus or, or people would say, not me, not you, that Jesus is being disrespectful to his mother and that violates a commandment. Agnostics would say that. Well, Jesus' sins right there. Well, the word woman to prove to you that it's not, a, it's not a word of rudeness. It's a word of honor. And I'll tell you how I know. Because the same gune is the Greek word. Uh, Jesus used the very same word when He was on the cross. Remember when He gave John, the apostle, responsibility for his mom? This is where his brothers got saved. So He says, Behold, woman... Your son, and he meant John was going to take care of her. So it's, it's a word of honor. You can read that in John nineteen. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Uh, you know, again, it sounds when you're reading that he, he's just saying. Your language says, you know, he says you have your way of dealing with this. That may not be my way of dealing with this. You know. I don't know if Mary had seen a bunch of miracles from her son. You know, his public ministry started uh, at the age of 30. And, and he was the sinless son of God even when he was 12 years old. Even when he was 16 years old. He, he was a 25-year-old young man, sinless. I don't know how many miracles they saw. We don't have any history about his childhood except when he confounded the scholars other than being circumcised the eighth day, and, and then confounding the scholars at 14. We don't know much. I don't know how many miracles she had seen or even anticipated, so I'm not sure she wanted him to perform a miracle, but she did want him to do something. So Jesus was saying to her what you would do and what I would do are not the same. So, and then he says, my hour has not yet come. And, of course, the hour is, and here's, what, here's the best way to take that. In John's gospel, eight times, Jesus, John records, Jesus mentions his hour. The hour is all these prophecies that the Bible said about Messiah. Here's the best way to take it. All these prophecies that the Old Testament said the Messiah would do, he fulfills all of those and his hour is complete. And you'll notice that there's nowhere in the Old Testament that says Messiah is going to create wine at a wedding feast. You see, look, that's not something he had to do, right? To be the Messiah. Do right? you see what I'm saying? So, so as far as historically, this is not a necessary event for Messiah. But he's going to do something about it anyway. Okay? Now look what the text says. And this is, I know it's, I'm not preaching, I'm just kind of teaching, but it's just so profound to me what Christ does. Woman, what does this have to do with me? And my hour has not yet come. And you know she knew what he was talking about because of what she says. His mother said to the servants, now literally it could read, just do it. Just. It's one long word in the Greek language. It has three parts. You could translate it. I think Nike, that's what Nike uses. Just do it. And it's an imperative. So Mary says, whatever he says, just do it. I don't know if she was expecting him to create water into wine, whatever. But she says, whatever he says, do whatever he tells you. Just do it. And I love the idea here in the text. They're servants. Just think, make the application. And I know I'm, I'm spiritualizing it a little bit. I'm aware of that. But his servants, right? The servants. Now, they necessarily weren't... His servants, but they turned into His servants. Kind of like we did when we got saved. But all of His servants are to be doing what He says to do. Do you see, see how you can apply that? Mary says to the servants, the servants of the wedding, do what He tells you. Well, we're His servants. And you know what, what we're required to do? To do everything He says. We're to just do whatever He says. We're to be obedient servants as well. Jesus would later say in John 12, John 12, 26, this is part of the verse, wherever I am, there will my servants be. So everything that Christ said and did, that's the kind of stuff the servants of Christ will be saying in doing John 12, 26. So she says, do whatever He tells you to do. Now there were six stone water jars there For the Jewish rites of purification. These are the washings. Okay. Now you're in Cana of Galilee. So if you go to the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum. Where Jesus spent a lot of his time. When he was in Galilee. Capernaum's north tip of the sea. Cana is about 25 miles west. Of the Sea of Galilee. But in every one of these towns they would have places of worship synagogues to worship but they weren't always they weren't always going back to the, to Jerusalem to worship so so they have these purification processes that especially the priests would have to go through so there were big water jars okay and usually now they just weren't hewn out stone jars often they would put goat skins inside of them to, to, to hold the the liquid but we'll move on. That's possible that, that they had these as well. There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20, 20 or 30 gallons. Six times 20 is 120, or you can go all the way up to 150 or even more. Okay, That's gallons of water. Okay, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And by the way, the Greek word for wine here, let, let's just stop here and talk about this. I'm the pastor and I need to teach you this. There's three words used in the Bible, Hebrew and Greek, that talk about wine. This Greek word is oinos. You don't care about the word. And it can be, it can be wine that's fermented or it can be wine that's fresh wine. Okay? Just grape juice. Okay? It doesn't have to be fermented, but there are passages that that you know specifically it's fermented wine. Or the passages that says Jesus would say in Luke, uh, nobody puts new wine wine in old wineskins. Have you heard that before? Do you know what Jesus is talking about? Being saved. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. So when you get saved, all of you is made new. You with me? You're not only saved from your sins, you're regenerated. Interesting picture there. So God in his wisdom doesn't put something new in something old. He makes you brand new. A new creation. Your thinking, your spiritual life is totally made brand new because he comes inside of you as the as the wine. But anyway, so The six stone jars holding, so let's let's just round up to 150 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And He said to them, now draw. I'm going to finish on this. I, I promised myself and my wife, and I didn't tell Bonnie, but I want to finish early and give everybody a long afternoon as best we can because we have a very important afternoon, a lot of work, Look at your Bibles. He says, now draw some out. Now draw some out. Now, obviously, as we're reading the text and Jesus says that, they know they're supposed to walk over to one of the hewn out stone basins and, and scoop some out. Okay? And look what He tells them to do. Draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. See, it implies that the master of the feast wasn't really aware of all this. That It's not, because he's going to be surprised at the quality of the wine. So Mary was more in contact with this critical need than the master of the ceremony seems to be. There's another play on words there. We won't go there. But I want you to think about draw, he said, Draw some out. And and to make a long story short, this same well, I tell you what, since we're close, go to chapter four. Just my I'm on one page. Go. I want to show you the same word is used in with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, Jacob's well, right? Where they get into this conversation about where you worship. And Jesus says it's not about where you worship, it's about whom you worship you with me and, and how you worship in spirit and truth, but it's the same word, they're out of well because see the Lord is the word. The word became flesh. words matter, okay So I would say it's a play on words, okay and the Greek language is pregnant with meaning and, and that's what's the beauty of being that time in history where the Greek language... but look where he look at verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. She's drawing water from a well. You with me? And the idea is you're drawing from something that has an endless source. Now again, the word Jesus used for draw, what I'm saying is is the same word you would use to draw from a well of water that had an endless source. So he uses the same word to tell these servants to go draw. And technically, statistically, they're drawing some out of a 25-gallon jug, so to speak. But in in the mind of Christ, in the mind of God, symbolically, they're drawing out of something that has an endless supply of new wine. You with me? See what I'm saying? So for 2,000 years, all of us have been able to go to that same source and draw out new wine. You with me? I'm talking about Christ, the source. So it says, and he said to them, "Draw now, draw out some, and take it to the master of the feast." What it says? So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from. See, that's a little sign that. Mary was more privy to the situation, makes you think she was a family member helping be a part of the event, okay, hosting, helping host the event. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew what was going on, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, so the first thing you can think is, did Jesus make? did Jesus make an alcoholic beverage and that justifies you drinking? Number one, whatever he made is not what you can buy off the shelf at the store, right? That always is much more fermented and more stronger. I'll I'll end it in just a second. He called the bridegroom and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and when people have drunk freely, when they're kind of pickled, they don't care what the rest of it tastes like. Those of you, before you got saved, if you were a drinker, I was. That's the way it is. You don't care after some, you don't care what you're you just drink it. Then the poor it says when people have drunk freely, then the bad wine or the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. So whatever Christ made was superior, and you would expect that. And he and he bypassed all the fermentation, all the picking of the grapes, everything. He instantaneously made wine. Now we finish by looking uh, verse 11. We'll close with this. This. The first of His signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested His glory. And this is always connected with this sign. A sign. And His disciples believed in Him. He did signs so we would believe. Even 2,000 years later, I can read about this sign. And you know what? It makes me believe more in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's stand together for prayer. Let's pray. Thank You, Lord, for the sacredness of Your Word. God, thank You for the power of Your Word. That, Lord, not only does it convict us of sin, it transforms minds and hearts. Father, as pastor of this precious church, I I pray that You'll make today a very special day of fellowship and, and Lord of outreach. Help us to be faithful in what we say and do. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now you need to stand right there. Dale wants to. Dale, Dale wants to sing a song. We we've been waiting on this for years, and. Uh, <coughs> Small gifts and a small card to tell y'all thank you and we do appreciate everything that y'all that y'all do. Robbie Bryce I know uh as chairman deacons it's uh it's good to have y'all here because when y'all not here I have to fill in. <laughs> just you're just out in the cover. I don't I won't fill in, ever fill in for you singing. But uh it is a great I'm very appreciative of you guys and what y'all bring to our church and I know our family are and yeah. thank you all Don't you love your staff? That's great, yeah. So, to show your appreciation, we'll see you at 4.30. God bless. Have a good afternoon.